whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I'll be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and to seek on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call. Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false enemies rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So, one, this is exciting. This is Eleanor. Hi. Hi, you're right. I'm all right. Good Um, Eleanor is going to be preaching for us later on this evening, but um, we thought it'd be good to interview you, give you a bit of a grilling. Yeah. In general. Great. So, who are you? I'm Eleanor. Good. Who are you? I'm Jamie. Nice Nice to meet you. you. And and what do you do for a living? So, I work for a large anti slavery organisation called International Justice Mission. International Justice Mission. Mission, okay, mm. that fits quite well. I mm. did ask some of the young people to put some questions together, but I think they might have misunderstood your, okay. your role a little bit. Sorry about that. Um, but just correct anything that's wrong. This one was mm-hmm. from Josh Baker. Um, what's it like working for the Justice League? And who is nicer to work with, Batman or Superman? <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I, I've been interviewed a lot about my job, and I've never been asked that before um it's embarrassing josh embarrassing yeah i don't really know where to go from here to be honest jamie no. uh, i would imagine i've heard batman makes great cookies so maybe batman batman okay josh yeah. that's the answer to your question batman what actually is the international justice mission great question uh, so we are the largest anti-slavery organization in the world and we work to protect those living in poverty from violence um particularly slavery violence against women and children and police abuse of power Nice one. The next question yep. that I've got here is, who's that there? That? Yeah. That one is my husband. Uh, his name is Marcus. We've been coming to the church uh, since kind of the end of June when we moved into the area. We've been married uh, just over a year. Cool. You've kind of pre-answered the question, but I'll, I'll ask it anyway. Great. When did you start coming to St. John's? 
Around about June last year, actually, when we moved into the area. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool, fantastic. Yeah, that's that's clarified that one. <laughs> Cheers. Um, this one is from Lily Bogan. Um, I don't know how this is going to go down. What was it like starring in Mission Impossible International Justice? And what's Tom Cruise like? Shocker. Um, I... But she misunderstood. I, I don't want to say she misunderstood. Um... But Tom Cruise doesn't work for IJM, which is actually gutting. Like, we should maybe work on making him an ambassador, but no, he doesn't work for IJM. I'm really sorry. Okay, sorry about that. It's getting a little bit awkward now. No, it's fine, um, by all means. W- uh, when did you become a Christian? Great. Um, so I grew up in a, um, in a Christian home. Both my parents are vicars, um, so it was very much a Christian home. I kind of made a commitment when I was about 11 and then went through a very rocky patch from age about 11 to 15 um, with my faith and kind of felt like God had kind of disappeared and didn't really care. Um, and then um, through a variety of things that happened and, and people who input into my life, I um, uh, came back and um, kind of found that God did care about me, not just because of who my parents were, but because of who I was. Um, and I got confirmed as a, um, when I was about 15. Nice one. Good stuff. And this one's from Liam, mm. who is only like the apprentice vicar. I don't know what your, what's your title. <laughs> what are you? The, the, the young apprentice, I think they call him. And that, um, again, so I think you might have missed the point, but mm. what's it like working for International Rescue and what's your favourite Thunderbird? One, two or four? No one likes three. Number two. Number two. Yeah. Fair enough. Right, we've yeah. got that one cleared up. Thank yeah. you. So... What I'm getting is, you were about 15 when you really decided to go for it. Hmm. Since then, have you ever had any doubts about anything in your faith? Oh, yeah. I feel like, I feel like if someone tells you they're a Christian, they don't have doubts, they're probably not being entirely truthful because part of me, faith, is being able to understand that it's not always black and white. I really like things to be black and white. I really like things to fit into the boxes. Be like, well, this and this. But somehow I've met with a God who holds justice and mercy in perfect harmony. And yet those are two opposing boxes sometimes, right? And so for, for me, being a uh, being a Christian means learning to sit in the grey area and understand that God is who God says he is. And sometimes it doesn't really make sense to me, but I have to be okay with that. And that means wrestling it through and talking to people who are older and wiser than me or praying about it or looking in, in the Bible or actually just holding on to what I know to be true, which is that God is good. And that that is is what, what holds me, that Jesus existed and he died and he rose again and God is good. And those are the kind of the, the, the things in which I stake my faith and everything else can be, can often feel very wafty and difficult at times, but I can hold on to the truth of who God is and that gives me a foundation for asking more kind of big picture questions, peripheral questions I think and I just think I feel like doubt is actually a really key part of being a Christian because it means that you're engaging with it in the same way that you know when you get to know someone new you ask lots of questions about themselves you're not doubting their answers you're just being like I want to learn more and um that's I think that's quite important cool solid answer thanks very good
very good. And the last one's from my wife. Mm. Uh, Marcus, ages ago, said he wanted to join the youth team. Yeah. But he still hasn't gotten around to filling out the paperwork. Yep. Um, how long do you think it will be before he actually does it? So, uh, when did you ask him? What, like, late Feb? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I give it, it like... <laughs> mid to late may okay cool that's it right that's it from me let me pray for you before you you preach heavenly father i want to pray your blessing over this word that you have for us now lord god we thank you that your bible speaks to us lord god we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us lord god we pray for eleanor we pray that she would hear from you lord god we pray that you would teach her as she speaks lord god we bless your name amen amen Thank you very much. An interview is always fun to kick things off because it means I don't have to stand up here and introduce myself for five minutes. So instead, I'm going to introduce what we're talking about this evening. Um, Thank you for reading Psalm 27 so beautifully. Um, We'll be thinking about Psalm 27, particularly around the topic of hope, relentless hope. So my opening question is this. What do you think of when you think of hope? Personally, I think of my Labrador. Her name is Bramble. Uh, She's 11 years old. Does anyone else have a Labrador? Okay, what you need to know about Labradors is they're really fun and really loyal and really greedy. So just, just hold that picture in your mind. She's a chocolate brown Labrador. She's 11 years old and about well, for the last decade or so, every morning and every evening, my family have just like walked her around the block uh, to do her business every morning and every evening. And um, on this walk, there is a hedge, and it's on the corner of two streets. And um, about four years ago, during one nighttime perambulation, Bramble found in this hedge an entire jam sandwich. It was, quite frankly, the best day ever. Um, having she snaffled it, obviously. Um, and having carefully checked to make sure there were no further snacks to be found in the hedge, she went on her way. And the next morning, uh, fewer than 12 hours later, we took her out again, and she literally dragged me to the hedge and spent a good five minutes checking for any offerings from what I can only assume she believed to be the jam sandwich gods. Same thing happened that evening, the next morning, the next evening, the next morning. And to this day, a full four years later, we are unable to walk around that block without stopping to inspect fully and completely what has come to be known as the magical jam sandwich hedge. It's yet to yield unto us any further snacks. But still, Bramble lives in hope. So my question to us today is this. Are we as relentless in hope as a Labrador looking for a discarded jam sandwich. What does hope mean to us? As you've just um, discovered, I work for a large anti-slavery organization, and we're a group of Christian lawyers and investigators and social workers and others who are working tirelessly to prevent violence against the poor. And one of the things about um, being a part of a Christian organization is that four times a year, the whole global staff team, about over a thousand of us, stop and come together to pray for a day. And each year we have a theme for that. And in 2020, what a year that was, um, our theme was that of hope. And throughout the year, IJM's working definition of hope was disappointingly not about a Labrador and a hedge, but instead it was this. Hope is our sustaining conviction about the good that is before us because of who God is. 
I'm going to say that again. Hope is our sustaining conviction about the good that is before us because of who God is. So let's talk about it. So just to let you know where we're going, um, like all good Anglican sermons, I'm going to divide it into three, but because it's March and things just need to be a bit more exciting, we're going to do it in a different order. So first we're going to look at who God is, then we'll consider what sustaining conviction means, and finally we'll end in the middle, obviously, thinking about the good that is before us. So who is God? Well, if you have Psalm 27 open, you can see that it starts off very clearly by setting this out in verse 1. God is a light and a salvation, a protector from all danger. And God being light is, as often is in Scripture, contrasted to darkness, whether that's the darkness the psalmist currently finds himself in, that he sees up ahead, or that he has previously gone through. Light always overcomes darkness, we know this. And therefore, this is a comforting message for God to be a light. And by declaring God as his salvation, the psalmist is indicating a belief and a hope that God can and will rescue him from the distresses of life. This includes the things that we see mentioned in verses two and three, so the wicked advancing against him, enemies and foes, armies, war. But it also suggests that the psalmist has had previous experience of God's salvific works. And then finally, God is a protector from all danger. In other translations, this is uh, a stronghold. So a stronghold is a place that has been fortified so as to protect it against attack. So God is like the Tower of London, looming large and offering safety and protection from the assaults of the enemy. God is the strong one who makes sure that the psalmist has safe refuge from danger or attack. And so in this first section of Psalm 27, what we're seeing the psalmist do is something that we find quite a lot in the Psalms, which is the psalmist speaking to his soul, reminding himself of the past actions of the Lord and using those as a springboard for trust when faced with a new difficulty, a new danger, a new trial. And so what we see is that the psalmist is not uh, a person who trusts God because he's actively decided to. He's not willed himself into it, but he's a person who trusts God because of something God did. It's a bit like Bramble and her jam sandwich, right? The hedge in the past has been the gifter of snacks, and so she keeps returning to it in the hope that it will once again give her another snack, that it will prove itself again. And God, would you believe, is even better than a magical jam sandwich hedge. He has, in the past, been faithful and true to his promises. And so we can keep returning to him, not just hoping, but knowing that he will be so again. His character is sure and certain, And his actions in the past mean that we can trust in him today. So as we sit here today, what's your jam sandwich in the hedge? What aspect of God's character do you want to remind your soul of? 
what faithfulnesses of God in 2021, 2022, 2020, or earlier in life, what faithfulnesses of God can you use as a springboard for trust as we look to the future, as we look to the coming months? Where have you found him to be a light, shining in the darkness of what often can feel like overwhelming darkness and destruction? Where have you discovered to be him to be your salvation, rescuing you from the distresses of life, whether through miraculous provision or abiding presence? And where have you found him to be a stronghold, a place to run to, offering you safety and protection from the assaults of the enemy? As we think about these, it's, it's moments and situations such as these. And if we cannot think of any such moments right now, we can also find them in the scriptures, in the sure and certain truth of his word and his promises to us. It is in these that we can use as this springboard for faith when faced with current or future challenges. It's in these moments and the words of the Bible that we can remind ourselves of when we feel as if all hope is lost, when evil people attack us or whole armies surround in the words of the psalm. God is a light, a salvation and a stronghold. That is who God is. Whom then shall we fear? Hope is our sustaining conviction about the good that is before us because of who God is. We've explored a little what Psalm 27 says about who God is, light, salvation, stronghold. But what does a sustaining conviction mean? Well, to sustain means to strengthen or support physically or mentally. A conviction is a strong opinion or belief. So by definition, a sustaining conviction is a strong opinion or belief that strengthens and supports us, no matter what. We see the psalmist sustaining conviction right from the beginning of Psalm 27. I will fear no one. I will never be afraid. And in our translations, this poses a question. Whom then shall I fear? Of whom should I be afraid? And this confidence continues for the next few verses. Whether attacked by armies, slandered by enemies, rejected by family, the psalmist is strengthened by God's previous acts and thus has a sustaining conviction that he will continue to be faithful. And God's faithfulness is not the only good that is before the psalmist. He names a number of other things in Verse 5, there's safety in times of trouble, security high on a rock. In verse 6, you've got triumph over enemies. Uh, In verse 10, you've got God taking care of him. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And finally, in verse 14, that he will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, in this present life. All these things are the good set before him, things that are promised by God, that the psalmist hopes in because of God's actions in the past, his prevailing faithfulnesses in his life up until this moment. Hope is our sustaining conviction, a strong belief that strengthens and supports us of the good that is before us, both on earth and in heaven. Hope is our sustaining conviction 
that we will, we will, we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that we will be reconciled with God, that we will be able to gaze upon his beauty and worship at his feet in eternity where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain because of who God is, a light, a salvation, a stronghold. The good that is before us is not just goodness for today, but in the words of the ancient hymn, bright hope for tomorrow as well. So whatever comes our way, illness, hardship, fear, persecution, even death, we can be certain that God remains good and faithful and he will hold us fast. That's our hope. That's our sustaining conviction. The psalmist is certain God will not abandon him. Even if his father and mother forsake him, God will receive him. Let me just give you an example of relentless hope for some, some of my work. Um, back in 2008, um, IJM brought to safety a group of six families from a brick kiln in South Asia um, where children, um, very young, were being forced to work. And um, one of the things that IJM seeks to do is not just bring people to safety and restore survivors, but also see cases through the court and thus see an end to impunity. Um, and although this rescue had been urgent, um, the case took many years. And actually, it was only uh, in mid-2020, so a full 12 years later, after uh, over 100 hearing dates, um, three different judges and two public prosecutors, was a conviction reached. Over 12 years after they were first brought to safety, the, the accused kill owner was sentenced and convicted relentless hope, just keep going. The walk of justice, the walk of faith is often long and slow, but it is never without hope. God has been faithful in the past and he will continue to be so because that's who he is. And so as we come into land, I want to ask you this. How can your knowledge of God your experience of his hesed, his loving kindness, his faithful presence, lead to a sustaining conviction about the good that is before you? How can he lead you to hope? How can God's interventions in your life up till now strengthen you as you pray, perhaps daily, for an answer, a new intervention, a fresh miracle? What's your jam sandwich in the hedge? One of the joys of preaching as a Christian today is that we have not only the promises of the Old Testament, but the fulfillment of them in the New. And so as we consider this topic of hope, we can find it not just in the words of the Psalms, although if we had to do just that, I have no doubt we would be more than satisfied. The Psalms are rich with hope. But we can jump ahead and discover the ultimate fulfillment of God's promises in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So I'm going to read a little bit from Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6, starting at verse 13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. 
People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. And here's a bit that I want us to focus on, verse 17. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what he was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Don't know if you've ever seen one of those like whopping great bit anchors. I think the Cotisark might have one, like one of the whopping great bit anchors of the big old ships. They are huge. Like, they threw them in and they got onto the seafloor and then the, the boat would be moved by from side to side, but it wouldn't get blown off course. It wouldn't get buffeted too much. And that's what they're saying, what the Hebrews is saying here about hope. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. It means that no matter what is going on, no matter what is buffeting us, no matter what is coming at us, no matter the winds that may blow, hope anchors us. It keeps us firm. It keeps us safe. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope of the good that is before us as this sustaining conviction because of who God is and because what he's done through his sacrifice on the cross. And people may tell you, and we may well feel, that hope feels fragile at the moment. Looking at the world, I understand the impulse, right? It often feels like it's just one bad news story after another, and that's just the world at large. There may well be plenty of things in our personal lives, at our workplace, in our school, in our friendship groups, that make it feel as if hope is fragile. Hope might feel fragile. But the promises upon which we stake it, the character of God, his words in scripture, his actions throughout history and in our lives, they're not. They're not fragile. It is in Jesus' presence that we have the type of security that the psalmist longed for amid life's dangers. Truly, we have seen the goodness of God in the land of the living. Be strong and take heart, friends. Our hope is an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. God is good. Hope is real. And this is not the end. Amen.